Support for this episode of the I'm So Sure podcast is provided by Mr. Microphone from Ronco. All you need is a radio and Mr. Microphone to broadcast yourself. Just set the dial on your FM radio and the fun begins. The cordless microphone that actually puts your voice on any FM radio. It's practical and great fun for the whole family. And for only $12.88, they make great gifts. Mr. Microphone from Ronco. Hey, baby, we'll be back to pick you up later. I'm so sure. Hi, and thanks for downloading this episode of the I'm So Sure podcast. I'm Scott Benson. I'm Kevin Kelly. And this week, we are going to break down our top 10 albums of the 80s. Yes, we are. Well. Well. Who wants to go first? Why don't you start? Well, we had some rules for our lists. Number one, they can't be compilations or like soundtrack compilations or greatest hits compilations. Uh, they all have to be regular albums, and you can only pick one album per artist. We didn't discuss it, but neither of us have live albums either, but would that have been a stipulation? Yeah. Because that almost becomes like a greatest hits. Yeah. And, and probably the reason why we don't have any on our list is because they aren't very good. So Unless it's Duran Duran. I was just thinking of Arena. But um, actually, the packaging of that album is better than the actual content of the album. Well, that could still count as being in the top ten. Well, it's also heavily produced, so I don't know. I'm not saying anything bad about the album, but I really don't know how live it is. It doesn't really represent the live experience. Anyway. But, um, yeah, so there are no live albums in our lists either, so... Having said that, I'm going to start with my number 10 album, and that is Fantastic by Wham! It's fantastic. Originally, when it was released in the United States, they were called Wham! UK. Was that to avoid confusion with Wham! who was an American group? Apparently, which no one had ever heard of. I still have never heard of no, said group. No, I haven't either. So I don't know if there was a group signed. I guess we could look it up, but I really don't care enough to do that. No, it's too much trouble. So Wham! of course, is the duo of George Michael and Andrew Ridgely. The album really was not a hit here in America. I remember seeing the video for Bad Boys on HBO Video Jukebox. I think it's a song that a lot of people know. Um, And the song Young Guns Go For It was on American Bandstand. Um, That's how I kind of discovered it. Yeah. And I remember seeing the album cover, and I was like, hey. And I just thought they were cute. And I was like, well, I need to buy this. So Yeah, looking back on their music videos and the, the songs and stuff like that, that's they were so much more gay. Oh, that's missing yet to see. But don't 
Well, everything was gay in the 80s. Yeah, you know? I guess it was so just kind of open to interpretation. But, like, I... You know, during uh, Wham's or George Michael's, you know, whole... You know when they when he got when they got really big with make it big, and then he started to do his solo side projects. Well, I'm talking about Carol's Whisper. Oh yeah, and how the video for that was so heterosexual. And when you watch it now, like you can't really help but kind of chuckle at it a little bit because because we're gay. I think it was always a given that, like we. Just I just knew he was gay. It was like not a surprise when he came out of the closet years later at all. So uh, yeah, watching that was um, always kind of funny. And the videos from Fantastic are so overtly gay, like um, Club Tropicana, yeah, and Bad Boys and. And it's all very like kind of leathery and nightclubbing yeah. kind of yeah. kind of undercurrents. It's it's pretty funny. Yeah. Because so. I didn't know who they were at the time. I had no idea that album existed. It was not on my radar. I really didn't know who they were until um Make It Big came out. I remember uh Bronsky Beat, The Age of Consent, that album. They were very out. And if you ever if you remember the video for Small Town Boy, which MTV did play there's no questioning what that song and the video are even about. So, uh, like, I thought Wham's Fantastic was equally as gay. In different ways, but... Not not really, but, I mean, if you look at the lyrics and everything... Yeah. So, but anyway, what's your number ten? Well, I did not rank mine that way. As such. So you didn't follow the rules that I set up. I did my own version. Um, but, yeah, so I do have ten albums. Um, let's start with, you know what, the, I will go ahead and rank it. I'll say this is number ten. This is the Human League Crash. And it's uh, came out in 1986. And it was produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who had been in a Prince side band called The, uh, the Time then they had lots of success producing Janet Jackson. So you take a group like the Human League. Well, they had lots of success producing all other sorts artists. Of artists. Yes, mostly R and B artists. But uh, right, this is them working with a decidedly pop new wave group. Uh, Human it League. It was a very different direction for them. For for both yeah. producers and the artist. And this was just an album. I just I played in my. Chevette as I drove around. I had the cassette of it and listened to it all the time. Yeah, and I was just obsessed with the with the song "Human," um, which it's was a beautiful song. Yeah, which was a really neat video, and um, just the whole uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's albums had a real kind of. Uh, glossy and funky vibe at the same time. They had time. a very distinctive sound, too. You could always tell. Right. And it was neat to see that mixed in with um, the the Human League's the sound the of percussion, like and all that. Yeah, the percussion on um, Human completely matches the visual in the video for it with the rain. The because drops. the percussion sounds like raindrops mm-hmm. in it, which is pretty genius. Yes. I'm 
wasn't that nice. Yes. I think uh, we should mention that a lot of Human League purists at the time thought this was such a big mistake for them. They really hated this album. And for years, people would say this is their worst album. But I think time has been very kind to the album, and a lot of people have realized that, you know, they were taking a big risk making this album. They could have just kept putting out the same, you know, synthy thing over and over. And they took a big risk by working with, um, number one, American producers, but number two, American R&B producers. And I think that's great. I think that that's my favorite kind of thing is when you enjoy two different artists or producers or songwriters and to see them come together, what they can come up with together is pretty fantastic. A lot of new wave music seemed very synthetic and maybe soulless to some people. And I think Human League proved that they were the complete opposite. Exactly. Especially with this album. And when you go back and listen to like Dare and Fascination, which came before um, this album, you can tell those albums have a lot of soul to them. They just have a different sound to them. They have a much more synthetic sound, which I personally love, but I also like to see artists expand into different territory, right. which is what happened with this collaboration. I agree. Well, what's your number nine? My number nine album is probably one of the... the. I mean, it's really hard to put things in a numerical order, but I have. Um, Depeche Mode Music for the Masses, which was a major album for them. It really broke them into the mainstream, at least here in America, but really, I mean, worldwide, too. It, it was a giant, giant landmark of an Yeah, album. that would have been on my list, except I knew that you were going to have it on yours, so I deferred to being one of your selections. That's probably my all-time favorite Depeche Mode album, um, probably just with uh, Violator coming a close second, but that's from the Black 90s. Black Celebration was your favorite. No, that's not a great album. I like that song a lot. Oh. Well, a lot of Depeche Mode people think that's their best album. Hmm. And it was this was like the anniversary for it, too, this week. There was a lot of stuff on Facebook posted about Black Celebration. Well, happy Black Celebration. But, um, yeah, it's I've, I, they weren't new for me. I'm, I had been into them for several years when this album came out, but... I remember uh, working at the record store when this album came out, and I was so excited, and just, I mean, everything about the album is just fantastic. Well, let's play some highlights. Our favorite song from it, obviously, is Strange Love, which they did not play in concert when we saw them. I hate it. You were so fed up. That's like when we saw Bross open for Debbie Gibson, and I'm just like, okay, when are they going to do When Will I Be Famous? Which was really the only song that people knew by then. And they did about ten songs. They did not play When Will I Be Famous. So, screw you, Bross. Well, we're talking about Depeche Mode. I know. Well, screw you just a little bit, Depeche Mode, for not playing Strange Love, but I forgive you because I love some well, of the other songs. It's disappointing, but... Yeah. So, yeah, this this is practically a perfect album in every way, and all the singles are standout, you know, really, like, standards of Depeche Mode's catalog. Never Let Me Down Again. 
Behind the wheel. Sacred little 15 behind the wheel, which I've done a really frightening music video for me. Stop talking me. about things that you've done. Uh, me with Elvis glasses and it's in black and white and it's a strobe light. I like nothing and the things you said a lot too. Yes. Oh, and, and I love Pimp, the <laughs> hidden track that's at the end of the album. And all the CD singles with all the remixes. And I love, yeah, I love that little MIDI mix is what it's called for Strange Love. It's just like 30 seconds instrumental. <laughs> I have to say, I did get. I over time, I got really fed up with the black and white blurry videos. The Anton Corbijn vision. <laughs> it was just like okay, work with somebody else. That's why I love the video for Strange Love '88 so much. Which it's because it's in color and it's you got a different feel. Completely different feel. It's. Not to discount the the visual aesthetic they had going with those uh, Anton videos. I don't know. It just got old, and then U2 was doing the same thing. You couldn't tell one video from the other, really, with that director. So, yeah. All right. Are you done talking about that? Yeah. All right. Uh, My number nine album is Thompson Twins, Here's to Future Days. And I think I have a really strong... um, Ooh, 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 ow, ooh, ooh, ow. Yeah, Dr. Dream, that's great. But no, I have a strong affection for this album because this was new. This is the album they were promoting when we saw them live in concert, mm-hmm. which was sponsored by Swatch. And they had a giant Swatch on the side of the stage, which was the plaid one with the yellow case. There in were which, two. Oh, yeah, which I had that watch. OMD life. was the opening band. That was that such, was such a, a good, good concert. concert. Yeah. Remember, like, they had a robot that played, like, the keyboards, and it was, it was so, we had so much fun. It wasn't a general admission, so we could kind of move around and get close to the stage, yeah, and we the, did get pretty It was close. at the Indianapolis Convention Center, a place that doesn't really have too many concerts. No. So this is another one of those awesome collaborations with uh, a group that you love and then also a super power producer this had Nile Rogers touch all over it yeah he was very hot at the time working with uh, artists like David Bowie and Madonna Duran Duran but um his collaboration with the Thompson Twins brought out a lot of interesting arrangements and um I, I don't know I, I, I love this album I do too. I loved all the artwork for it. I remember like all those pearls or wearing all those pearls and just And the flowing robes and yeah. uh, looked like everyone was dressed up like, you know, royalty. Yeah. We're just finding out something here for the first time when we looked up the wiki um posting about this album. One of our favorite songs on the album is called Roll Over and it was supposed to be a single and the Thing, everything I've read about it over the years that Tom Bailey, who is the lead singer and kind of the main person in Thompson Twins, had some sort of a breakdown during the making of Rollover. And 
at the last minute, the single was pulled and was not released just because they felt like it had bad vibes. And um, so it was only available on the American edition of the album, though, which I never. Yeah, we had no idea until just now. Until now, because it says um, it's a bonus track album version that only appeared on North American copies of the original album in 1985. Is it? Yeah, 85. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's kind of um, sad that people over in England and you know different countries didn't have that song. That's right, and unless they imported it because there was no internet to trade it and that way. I, I could be wrong about this, but I think that might be the song that Steve Stevens, who's Billy Idol's guitarist, plays guitar on that. Well, song. he also plays on the re-recording of "Lay Your Hands on Me" because remember that was originally on the soundtrack for Perfect. Starring John Travolta and the Jamie thing, the Lee Curtis. That I've ever seen. That's right. Dun 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 <laughs> dun dun dun. Okay, so "Lay Your Hands on Me" was a single that came between the Thompson Twins' prior album and this album, and it was a very different version than what was eventually released as their first single for this album. So the new version had Steve Stevens um, playing guitar on it and give it a little bit more of a rock edge in the breakdown and that sort of thing. Yes. Yes. That's what I just said. Well, I'm saying it. I think I'm saying it. Okay. Well, that brings us to my next pick, which is Into the Gap by Thompson Twins, which was their first really major album, at least here in America. Right. It uh, had a couple really huge hits, Hold Me Now and Doctor Doctor. And You Take Me Up, which was not my favorite at the time, but now I think it's a great song. It's one of those songs that grew on me over time. Never, I think it was the harmonica. Never been a big fan of the harmonica, yeah. which, and I think it was a mistake to release that as a single, uh, at least here in America. There are other songs on the album that probably would have kept the momentum going. I like Sisters of Mercy quite a bit. Any it's song just that... Sister of Mercy, oh. not Sisters. <laughs> well, it shows you how much I like it. I haven't listened to it in a while, but... So Sisters of Mercy would be a goth group. Yeah. Sing! Can you name their hit? Uh, hey, now, hey, corrosion. now, now. This corrosion. Yeah. Are you surprised that I know that off the top of my head? Well, you should know it if you've been hanging around me and Vicky at all, because we played those songs. That I song never possessed uh, Sisters of Mercy. Sing! Recording. Okay. 
Anyway, every time I post that video on the 80s Grady's page on Facebook, I always put, SING! This has nothing to do with Thompson Twins. No, clearly. It's really hard to find Thompson Twins videos on YouTube. Yeah, because I wanted to, the other day I wanted to post something, and they just don't have a whole lot of their videos on YouTube. I remember I used to have that video cassette compilation mm-hmm. from Arista. It was like a red, I think it was a red box. No, it was RCA, like it's called Single Vision. Oh, yeah. And I have it converted to a DVD. Mm-hmm. But, um, I'm sure the quality is very low. Yeah. But they had other good songs before End of the Gap. Love on Your Side and Lies. And plus they had Grace Jones record with them, too. Yeah, that was on Sidekicks. Yeah. Which I never understood why that album... That album was called Quick Step and Sidekick. But here in America, it was just called Sidekick. It seems like out of all 80s groups that we liked, Thompson Twins had the most variations on their albums overseas to American releases. And like you said, even going so far as to having different titles to the albums. For the but remember era. how great it was when you got their album on cassette, at least. Um, I, I know it's Sidekick and Into the Gap. The album is on one side of the cassette, and then on the other side of the cassette had all the mixes, mixes and bonus stuff, mm-hmm. which was great. That was very uncommon and very appreciated. Right. Thanks, Arista Records. And they've had um, all their well, all their albums up to a certain point have been reissued. Very deluxe. Yeah, and there's um, even like a a really deluxe compilation of remixes and things like that yeah so if you're into the thompson twins you should definitely get that we we should mention also if you were here from 16 candles right which album is out on sidekicks yeah i think so yeah yeah but everyone knows that who's listening to this podcast and if you don't screw you what's your next one my next one is Grace Jones slave? Slave. Um, this album, and I debated. Thank that, you, but, Paul. <laughs> I, if you're wondering what I'm, what that noise is, I just choked on my saliva. Thank you. Um, I debated putting this on my list because it almost is not even an album per se. It's like a series of variations on the same song. I remember you got this cassette the same day that you got Robert Palmer Riptide. Yes. Which one is a classic album for the ages that I love to listen to. The other one I no longer have in any way, shape, or form. And he's he's dead. The Um, only Robert Palmer (laughs) I ever owned was Power Station. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like the album with Addicted to Love, but Riptide was not Addicted to Love. I don't. What was that album called? Riptide. No, what was Addicted to Love album called? Riptide. I could have sworn that that came later. You were wrong. Oh, you are wrong. <laughs> so I did possess the album that had Addicted to Love on it. You most certainly did. Well, it's all new information to me at this point. But Grace Jones' Slave to the Rhythm is just super fun. To the rhythm, to the rhythm, love to the rhythm, slave to the rhythm. 
produced by Trevor Horn. Mm -hmm. So this album was something of a departure from Grace because she'd been doing the kind of reggae dub stuff with Sly and Robbie from Jamaica. And this was her working with Trevor Horn, and it just had a, the great big wall of sound, Trevor Horn type of thing. Trevor Horn on. had produced Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Most people you know, know them for Relax. And he'd also produced ABC's um, The Lexicon of Love, which featured Poison Arrow, which was a really big worldwide hit. Very glossy production. Very. Oh, and it just it had a very striking video to go with the song. Well, Grace always had the striking visuals to go along with her music, but right. this I was mean, like just they could have just put a picture of her, and you know it would have. This album kind of represented her at her most media exposed and most mainstream because she had been in the James Bond movie that year, um, and was in you know those commercials for the Honda scooters with Adam Ant uh -huh. and. It was just, it was grace everywhere you looked, and I want to live in a world where grace is everywhere you look. Put some grace in your face. That's from later, but yes. So, my, what is your next album? My next album is Yaz, Upstairs at Eric's. Do you know that I didn't really even know what this was until several years later? I never had this. I don't know how it's possible. You never, like, played it for me when I first met you. I'm sure I did. I don't have any recollection of that. Um, anyway, <laughs> well, I know that you had MTV late. Yes, but um, very late. It was well after the fact of this album coming out. Um, the song "Don't Go" was a big MTV hit. was not like a top 40 hit here in America, but Vince Clark of Depeche Mode left the band and went on to do some other projects. And Yaz, known as Yazoo elsewhere in the world, but here in America it was just called Yaz. Um, so it was a platinum-selling album here in America. It was off my radar. Also features like the classic... 80s new wave dance cut situation. those songs and I love uh, later Tom Jones did the cover of Situation which is really good right and um, lead singer of Yaz was Allison Moyer who went on to uh, have a, a solo career and um, she had a pretty big um, American hit in her first solo single called Invisible and that's see that's funny because that was popular when we first became friends and so you had that album. Yeah, I had that album, but I again, like I said, I had no idea that she was in Yes from before. I just thought she was like a new singer on the, For me, she was like a new singer. But did you not read your Star Hits? Apparently, I skipped over those chapters. You mean articles? Star Hits was a magazine. Well, same diff. No, that's it is, it is different. <laughs> an article in a magazine is not the same as a chapter in a book. 
duly noted. Let me jot that down in my journal. Oh, wait, I don't have one. Um, but there's a song on Upstairs at Eric's that I love called I Before E Except After C that I like to listen to while I go through a car wash. That's random. Well, we'll listen to a little sound bit of it right here. Inside, you can feel it. Outside, you can see the difference. Inside, stop. Inside, difference. Outside, out, stop. Inside, you can feel the difference. Feel the difference. Difference, difference. You can see them, feel the difference. You can stop, stop, and see that you can stop. You can see the difference. Dragons, the policemen knew, were supposed to be fine, fine, to be fine. It just makes for a trippy experience when you're going through a car wash. I, I never did it on purpose. It just happened one time when I was going through a car wash. And it was very And I was ideal. just like, oh my god, what's going on? And then I just decided to like kind of make a habit of it every time I go through a car wash. Well. It's fun. What's your next? My next pick is something we just had mentioned a few moments ago. It's uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. Right. And it's produced by Trevor Horn that we've talked about. Ah, we're a long way from home. Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. On our way home. Going home where love is wrong. Long way from home. Welcome to the Pleasure And this is another album that had multiple versions, whether you're on uh, this side of the world or in Europe, and um, but all of them are good. I mean, I, Frankie Goes to Hollywood was a sensation. They were criticized for their sexuality and for... Another thing that was obviously gay. Yeah. Um, but just, I don't know, Frankie, that, just the whole album, I, I, lo- I love every track on that album and could just play it from start to finish. I remember you used to talk about Crisco Kisses a lot. <laughs> That's one of the most questionable songs on the album. I don't think it's questionable. I remember when I got the 12-inch single for this album, or for Relax. Relax! It was, I'd gone to the record store. My mom had taken me over to the record store, and then I had to run, run in the drugstore to get, like, some a notebook or something for school, and my mom just stayed in the car. And when I came back, she had opened up my sack and saw the cover of Relax, and she was like, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that, because it, the, the cover of it is... Um, a man and a woman back-to-back tied up in bondage gear and stuff, right? I don't know that they're tied up, but yeah. Their arms are bound together, I think. They're, or they're just kind of in, intertwined, but yeah. it, it is very sexual, and um, my mom was never, ever someone to ever question anything. She was not... A she prude. didn't agree with censorship at all. Like, you know, anything was fine, really. Um, 
And she, I just told her, I was just like, oh, whatever, mom. And that was the end of it. We never discussed it. I think my favorite again. song, I mean, uh, Relax is groundbreaking and classic and uh, everything. But I think Two Tribes is probably one of my all-time favorite songs by by them and of the 80s. <laughs> I do think the album kind of suffers from being a little too long. They could have um, edited it a little bit, especially for an album that is a debut album. But that's the thing. I think this album had such a breath to it for being a, a debut album that it's it's just kind of like, it was like, here's the best of what we can do and let's just put it all out there, you know? Yeah. It was interesting, their cover of um, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. And their cover of Do You Know the Way to San Jose. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. I love that's two disparate type of songs, but they're both yeah, awesome. It works. Mm-hmm. So, what is your next pick? Mine is "Color by Numbers" from Culture Club. first episode we talked about the con our first concert that we went to together um so we don't need to go through that story again no. but, but color by numbers was the second album from culture club and it was really the album that broke things open world- worldwide for them they they had already had three pretty big hits from their first album do you really want to hurt me and um time clock of the heart and I'll tumble for you. <laughs> or, oh, do you want to tell a story about one of our friends who... Um, our friend Matt, who uh, um, we've been friends with for years, and Matt actually did the artwork for the I'm So Sure podcast. And um, anyway, he lived in a um, small city in the southern, southern Indiana. part of Indiana, and he called... The local radio station, and um, it was the request hour. The request hour, and they're like, "Hey, what do you want to hear?" And he said, "Will you please play I'll Tumble for You' by Culture Club?" Click. They hung up. They just hung up on it, and they did not play I'll Tumble for You. So every time he feel he hears I'll Tumble for You, he kind of feels bad. I can't get the image of uh, the classic Adam Sandler movie, Billy Madison, out of my mind, where there's just a random scene of him walking down a staircase and dancing to I'll Tumble For You. What movie was that? Uh, Billy Madison. Oh. I remember in The Wedding Singer, that guy that worked um, at the, I think he worked at the airline counter, and he had the hairdo from... um, a flock of seagulls, mm-hmm. and he just out of nowhere goes, "Do you like a flock of seagulls?" <laughs> that was really funny. I, I can't say that I love Adam Sandler movies, but no, neither do the, I. But those, he, those his bits two, are funny. a couple stand out. I do, things. I do like the Wedding Singer a lot. Yeah. That's a, that's a good '80s movie. 
But um, Culture Club's Color by Numbers is just a wonderful album. I love, love, love the cover of the album, the artwork for it. The artwork for things, for me, a lot of times, that's like 50% of of why I like an album. Well, they had a really good um, art director that did everything, and it was all kind of tied together and had a nice theme. Well, it was the sorted images who had done Duran Duran um, stuff, like did the Rio and... Yes. and and uh, Seven of the Ragged Tiger, and you could kind of tell, even though it was it didn't look like Duran Duran, but you could just tell it was kind it of. It was a high quality way. production, basically. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, high quality. So, but um, it's such a great album. It's probably my favorite Culture Club album, also. When I got the first Culture Club album, Kissing to be Clever, I was really excited. And there was so much reggae on it. And I remember thinking, oh, why isn't this album better? I just, I've never been a big fan of reggae unless, you know, it's like, well, I don't know that you can call Eddie Grant Electric Avenue. That's not reggae. Or uh, Musical Youth, Past the Duchy. That's not reggae. I think it is. But, kind of, but... But, um... That's as far as I go with reggae. A little goes a long way. I like some, but... It all just... It it sounds very similar, that same... Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm not a pot taker, so... <laughs> I don't think you have to be a pot taker to appreciate reggae. But it wouldn't hoit. Thanks, reference to Gilda Radner. <laughs> okay, what's the next? Um, my next pick is... And it's a cliche for an 80s greatest list, but it's Michael Jackson Thriller. Well, I think it belongs on any kind of best of list. We forgot to say at the beginning of the episode... That, by the way, th- this is just what we think. We don't want to be pretentious and pompous like Rolling Stone magazine and say, these are the best albums of the 80s. So print them out on a card and get it laminated and you can only listen to these albums. Yeah, I mean, like, oh, every time Rolling Stone starts talking about something they love, it's either, you know, it's Bruce Springsteen and R.E.M. Or Neil Young. Yeah, or... Uh, Lou Reed or something, and it's just like, and the the way they write, it's as if like if you don't agree with this, you're wrong. So it's just like, but we we just want to stress, there's so many wonderful albums, and people like things. You can't help with, with you know what you like, and we're not saying that these are the definitive albums for everyone from the 80s well, but they're they're our defense and really honestly not even for me i can't say that in six months or a year something else might change in favor and i may like something else more and if i were asked to compile a list it might be different but right now this is what i feel is my favorite from that time right so michael jackson thriller i mean who hasn't heard this album if you have ears and have been near a radio station or mtv or anything like that in your whole entire life it's just 
from start to finish, a classic album. Let's hear some highlights. You sound so uninterested. <laughs> Yeah, the thing that always bothered me about Thriller is that there weren't videos, videos for, every song. for every song. There are, there are only three videos from that album, and there's so many hits from like it. Like Human Nature, there's no video for that. That's so sad. And Well, and like PYT, and especially Wanna Be Starting Something. Yeah, I could imagine the most fantastic dance routine. Yeah. Well, he had, we, we basically saw music videos of that when we saw him in concert for when Bad came out. Yeah. He performed all those songs, so... Yeah, and like we would never say that we're like the biggest Michael Jackson fans in the world. I mean, we did like him and always bought his albums when mm-hmm. they came out. I I just remember <clears throat> how weird it was to see him in concert. Like just to think that we were under the same roof as Michael Jackson. Yes. That was such a great concert. We went to go see that with our friend Vicky and it was very memorable and I feel very fortunate to be able to say that we saw Michael Jackson live. Yep. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. But what's your next pick? Number five is the album Book of Love by Book of Love. Such a wonderful band, such a great album, and not an album that had mainstream success at all, but it was an important album, especially for gay teens. Just it seems like a lot of people really connected with this album. I Touch Roses was probably the that main was my favorite. Yeah, the main song that people knew. You Make Me Feel So Good, there's a video for that that was on MTV, and um, the first single from the album is called Boy. But um, That's a fun song. I Touch Roses probably would have been a top 40 hit had there been a video made for it. Yeah, that's shocking that there was no video it, it's, for that. It's very sad and unfortunate because this album completely deserved to be a giant giant hit. And it could have been. Yeah. And it was produced by uh, a man who referred to himself as Ivan Ivan, who had worked with a lot of other 80s bands. And Book of Love had um, toured with Depeche Mode. They were their opening band on a couple tours. And um, I remember the, the first time I ever listened to, like the day that I got the cassette, mm-hmm. um, I had gone to the. We we both went to the um, 
tanning spa for the first time. I was just thinking about listening to this in the tanning spa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, that wasn't so something... So 80s. It wasn't something we did a lot. But I just remember um, laying in the tan- tanning bed listening to this album. And just like every song was just like, oh my god, this is so good. Didn't we just pick that up at Rainbow? Did we get it from Rainbow, or did we go to the mall and go like to Camelot? I, I think we got it from the mall, yeah. Because yeah. Rainbow would have only had one copy of it. Probably Lafayette Square. Mm-hmm. Or would we have gone to Castleton? Well, we could have we could have gone to either one of them. Could we have gone to Eastgate Consumer Mall? No, we would not have gone there. That was on the bad side of town. That's the think, side of town where my dad's business uh-huh. was. I don't think they had a record store there, did they? They did. It was that record store that opened up the albums. Oh, like Lyric Records. Yeah. Like they had, a, they had one of those Lafayette Square. I wouldn't buy anything there because everything was already opened. Yeah, it's like, well, you're just, you've been playing this. It should be like $3 less, at least. Yeah. Was that why they opened things so you could just listen to I know, it? No, I think before? it was for shoplifting. I think they kept all the records in the sleeves behind the counter and then they just had the covers available to flip through and you got the cover you wanted and they put the album the record in there and you took oh it. no no i'll be opening this when i get home yeah i'm not gonna accept something that's pre-opened in fact i should have just said i know you have more copies of this and back that are sealed up i want a sealed up one or else i won't buy it you just lost a sale <laughs> but yeah um we had that on cassette but of course, then I, I remember when it came out on CD with bonus tracks. Oh, like my, you know, head almost blew off. It was so exciting. Well, then it was reissued yet again. Like it was. Just I a few didn't. Years I ago. didn't buy the reissue though because I already had everything that was on it, and the packaging for the reissues I thought was lackluster. Yeah, and the well, the packaging for their second album, Lullaby, on the on the remastered version. Um, they printed the cover sideways, which is really, really bad. It's like, who did they get to curate these, these remastered reissues? You would think that they would find someone that was like a fan. Obviously they had no idea what they were doing. So I, yeah, I didn't buy them. Well, oh. I mean, cause I have all the CD singles. You had all the variations had possible. Everything, so... Yeah, I just I, I keep, there wasn't anything on there that I needed, so never got them. And I don't like the cardboard sleeves anyway that CDs come in. I think those came in cardboard sleeves. I like a standard plastic jewel case that's going to last forever. Yes, some of them will last forever in a landfill. Well, I don't understand why they remember when they started changing the packaging on CDs. Like they did it with um, NXS and D-Lite and a Bonnie Raitt CD and a Sting CD where it came in that, in the cardboard packaging. The eco pack or whatever. Right. It's like these aren't disposable products. So consequently, they, they got damaged very easily. And if you like to keep your collection in pristine condition the way I do, these things just don't work out. Well, let me add that to a list of things to work on changing. Let me make some legislation on your behalf. Please do. All right, so now it's time for my next pick, and it is a classic one at that. 
to us. To us. It's the 1985 debut by Propaganda, and it's called A Secret Wish. Yes, it is. And it's, this is yet another Trevor Horn <laughs> album. In fact, I like to... This almost... I could, like, take this album and Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Welcome to Pleasure Dome, and just, like, those are two epic, fantastic, almost kind of, like, concept albums in a way. It's a concept of the past. Well... But propaganda is like German synthy new wave. Um, it's two fellas and two gals, and they're all oh so foreign. And the lead singer is Claudia, and we love Claudia so much. I just love that the sound of the album was a little bit you know proto techno without being as cold as like Craftwork. Um, it had a little bit more. It's very symphonic. It is symphonic. It's, it's, it's electronic and symphonic. Symphonic. I mean, and it has horns on it and orchestra. It's it just sounds huge. Yeah. And to this day, it sounds like a very modern album. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They did get a little bit of MTV exposure, but um, and they were in Star Hits magazine a lot. That's well, how we probably found out about them. And also, an instrumental version of their song "Doctor Mabuse" was featured in the John Hughes production, "Some Kind of Wonderful." It was, the, the, it was called "Abuse." Just a, it was a the opening version. Yeah, the opening credits that Mary Stuart Masterson is playing the drums to. Yeah, it's not on the soundtrack to "Some Kind of Wonderful." And either. I like nearly shit myself when I got the import single of those remixes. It was called it's "Wishful not, Thinking." Yeah, it's not a single. It was an EP. No, I, I mean an EP. Sorry, yeah. with the different mixes, and it had the "Some Kind of Wonderful" mix. On right. it. So that was mind blowing. It was a mind scrambler. It hurts so good. Um, yeah, it's definitely something you should check out. I'm sure, we're playing some clips from at some point. Yes, from right in. here. But um, P Machinery, Jewel, and Dream, Duel. Dream within a dream is fantastic. Right. Duel was like the song you may have seen on MTV at the yeah. time. They also struck me as a group that like on. The SNL sketch uh, sprockets that Mike Myers They're would do. Very They're very sprockets. sprockets. They would be like, now on sprockets, I'd like to introduce the new German sensation, Propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. And I love Propaganda. And they have a new album coming out. I have cautious optimism. Well, Claudia is back with them. The album, they, Claudia left the band and then they released a second album that we didn't love at all. Because it was she, okay. She, it was okay, but Claudia Brooken was not on it. And so. also, honestly, Trevor Horn wasn't working with them either at Correct. that point, and that was a huge point of contention. Or the other producer, Stephen Lipson, who yeah. was very influential in their sound as well. Right. So, love it, propaganda. All right, what's your next? My next one is the debut from Pet Shop Boys, Please. Really? 
I'm they, well, I'm surprised they didn't have an album called. Really? They still could. They have a new album coming out. It's called Super. I love how they just have one word yep. album titles. But please that was, was their debut and uh, it's hard for me to choose an album by them because I love them all. But so I just went with their their debut which featured West End Girls. But also um, opportunities, which Let's was make an, lots of money, which was another big hit here in America. The third single here in America was "Love Comes Quickly," which received MTV airplay, but I don't think I ever heard it on the radio. No. But, yeah, I, I love this album probably as much as any Pet Shop Boys album. Do you remember our Pet Shop Boys story? No. We were at Target, and we were in the the um, the, the record department at Target. And this uh, lady, um, an African-American woman, just out of nowhere came up to us, and she was holding the cassette of Please. Do you not remember this? Nope. And she said to us, she goes, "Have you? How is this album? Is it good?" And we were like, "Why are you asking us?" And she goes, "Well, you just look like people that would own this album." And we said, "Well, you're right, and yes, it is. It's really good." And it was so weird. It was just like she—I don't know if she knew they were gay, and we're you know, oh, let, let me ask these gay teenagers how they feel about this album. So she bought it. Okay. Do you remember when you would buy a cassette from Target? What a hassle it was! Oh, I had the, all that security package, and you had and to shit. use scissors to to cut it out. So and sometimes we, you gouge your cassette or your hand, and it was really hard if you wanted to listen to it in the car. Like you would ask them to take it out of the, like, and they're like, "Oh no, no, yeah, <laughs> we don't do that." <laughs> It wasn't like when you bought it from a regular record store mm-hmm. and they had that little key that would, you know, unlock it. Yeah, speaking of wasteful and bad for the environment, that's horrible. Right. But anyway, Please is a wonderful album. It's a per- practically perfect in every way. And I can't wait for their new album. And you got to see them in concert. I did. I have not seen them in concert. It was a wonderful 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 concert and I don't love going to concerts because I'm so short. And I just, I'm to the point in my life where I don't want to pay a lot of money to look at the backs of people's, well, their backs and their butts and their heads. And now, or their arms swinging yeah. around, holding well, no, cell phones up. Yeah, they hold their cell phones up and they record the concert. They make a recording that they're never going to watch, probably. Or, you know, they go post it on Facebook. It's all amateur. It's all amateur. And you can't even see because they're so far away. But... um Anyway, we were sitting in the balcony, and we had really good seats. I didn't have to stand up. I could just sit in my seat and enjoy the show, and um, it was really, really wonderful. And also, no one held out a lighter at any point, because the lead singer, Neil Tennant, has said before that... No, if anyone, Chris Lowe said Oh, Chris that. Lowe said that? That if anyone pulled out a lighter during one of their songs, they would just stop the concert and be over. 
and they would leave the stage immediately, which I think is hilarious. So, my next pick, it is Duran Duran Rio. That's right. That's right. There had to be Duran Duran on my list. And I was torn between this and an uh, album that Kevin is going to bring up a little bit later. Um, but Duran Duran's probably on, near and dear to my heart because it's the first album um, that had songs that I was exposed to. I didn't really hear anything off of the first album. I missed Girls on Film and all that stuff the first time around. Because I did have, again, MTV. I was a victim of not having um, MTV. But uh, Rio, I listened to <laughs> because I got the um, laser disc of their music videos. And I think I kind of initially clicked more onto the songs that were from Rio, like Hungry Like the Wolf. And that was all, of course, all over the radio. And. I just uh, that that was my first Duran Duran record that I bought, and then I went back and got the first album and and Duran for life. I remember the first time I listened to Rio, the album, and it was the first time I was ever hearing a lot of those songs. Obviously, I'd heard "Hungry Like a Wolf" um, because it was all over MTV. But I reach I remember thinking like the the music seemed very familiar to me like it was it was new but it wasn't new and I know that sounds weird but like a deja vu it just sounded like like I just can't believe I'm hearing this it's so good they were speaking to your soul you already had it in your soul maybe so it just it's an album that clearly has stood the test of time well, and it also has my all-time favorite Duran Duran song, The Chauffeur, which is the uh, finale of the album. There's just not enough good things we can possibly say about this album. Well, we could probably have a whole podcast about each individual Duran Duran album. But, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. All right, so what's your next pick? The Go-Go's Beauty and the Beat. And it would be, I would, it's really hard for me to pick, like, what my favorite album of the 80s is. This is definitely one of my absolute favorite albums. I remember I got this from the Columbia House um, 
record club and I got the cassette of this as w in one of my first ones that I did I it have lousy packaging it would look like someone had done a cheap Xerox copy of the album shrunk it down and put it into some generic cassette. yeah I remember the cassettes from the record club always <clears throat> had really crummy like no packaging like right. when, you, when you would open it up there would be no pictures or lyrics or nothing would fold out it would just be blank well but the content was the same and I was thrilled to have it yeah I remember we had been shopping at Washington Square, and I got it at Camelot Music, and we listened to it in the car on the way home. And um, my dad and my sister were just like, listen to all the computers and the synthesizers. And 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 I was just like, what are you talking about? This is like... That's not that kind of music. What, well, they were, they, were what just, were they hearing? They were just thought it was so overly produced, and that it was like computers made uh, made these people sound like this. That was not even a possibility back then. Actually, they're they're they stupid. Just, they didn't know what they were talking about, obviously. And I was just like, shove it. You know, I don't care what you say. I love it, and um, I mean, every song on this album is. Fantastic. Well, and my all time favorite song by the Go Go's is Our Lips Are Sealed. Yeah, definitely. But um, I always loved um, Automatic on this album a lot. And This Town, because they say, we're all whores. <laughs> and I just remember, it's like, ooh, that's so controversial. They're very edgy. Wasn't yeah. this the album that you drove your mother insane by playing We Got the Beat so much that she gave you money to go buy a new record to listen to? Yeah, I had made a version of We Got the Beat that had the drum beat at the very beginning of the song. Um I made a little mix, but the drum beat, which we'll sample right here. Went for about 15 minutes. It just went over and over and over before... I let the, the song start. I also loved um, Skid Marks on My Heart and You Can't Walk in Your Sleep If You Can't Sleep. Well, I just love the whole album. Yeah, it's it's a perfect album. And it'd be hard. If I were hard-pressed to pick a Go-Go's album, it might be Vacation or Talk Show, but... This is the first, and it's made the biggest impression, I think. When you watch their Behind the Music episode, they don't have the kindest things to say about Vacation. They think that they made the album too quickly and that not enough work went into it. But I love that album That's so a lot much. of fun. Yeah, I think it's maybe not as good as Beauty and the Beat, but it's still a great album. And since Talk Show, I mean, all three of those, those the first three albums are just wonderful and I listened to them constantly growing up, and 
Well, I still do. Of course. Love Belinda Carlisle. Love Jane Love Wheedlin. Jane Wheedlin. Love them all. Yes. So. What's your next one? My next one is Madonna, Like a Virgin. I had multiple Madonna albums I could choose, but if I have to think of one that exemplifies her work from the 80s, to me, it's like a virgin. It's a perfect album. Um, I love every track on it. Um, Everyone knows pretty much all the songs off of this if you follow popular music, and how could you listen to this podcast if you don't? Um, It's just, I love it. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. My next album is Madonna's debut. We've had him a whole, a whole Madonna, Madonna episode. episode, so you know that we're big Madonna fans. It's really hard to pick a favorite album, but I so I just went with her debut, and it just brings back so many good memories and a simpler time. Do you remember um, Robin, um, who I used to, Robin was one of the kids I babysat mm-hmm. for, and her husband, Anthony, likes to listen to our podcast, so hi, Anthony. Hi. Um, anyway, she loved this album so much, and um, I remember she, her favorite song on it was um, I Know It. Didn't you call her Ma Robin for a I, while? I did call her Ma Robin for a while. <laughs> but, um, she had the eyebrows for it. But when uh, Like a Virgin came out, her mom was like, I'm not so sure about this. You can have it, but just don't listen to what she's saying. And don't let your brothers hear it. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, we, we, we listened to a lot of Madonna. So just wonderful, wonderful memories. This is such a good album. Lucky Star, Burning Up. Borderline. Borderline. Just um, everybody. Mm-hmm. All classics. I really hope that Madonna's next album. Not that. This last album. We've already talked about this. But I just hope the next one is something a little different and... I wouldn't count on it. You know, I kind of think it is going to be something different. So, and no guest appearances from people. How about she just does an album with Stephen Bray and Niall Rogers? (sighs) And Patrick Leonard. Let's just do that. I wonder what Patrick Leonard's doing now. He, He was the producer of True Blue. For those who don't know, and I guess we who's can that girl? Google what he's doing, but I don't. I don't know if he still works in the music biz or not. One can only hope that he could work with Madonna again. What's your next? My next is. I'm looking at my list, and I didn't. I'm not assigning numbers, in, except just now as I'm going through the list. So I'm going to say, 
The Family by The Family. And this is a Prince side project where Prince basically wrote all of the songs and then performed all the instruments except for strings and some of the horns. And he did this album um, right after Purple Rain and Around the World in a Day. He was recording sessions all through that time, so 84, 85. And he enlisted uh, memories of the time which had just broken up. So you got Paul Peterson and Jerome Benton and and drummer Jellybean Johnson. And the co-lead vocalist was... Uh, Susanna Melvoin, who was the twin sister of Wendy Melvoin of Wendy and Lisa fame, who worked with Prince, who was also Prince's girlfriend at the time. Well, Wendy and Lisa were in the revolution. Yeah. Didn't I say that? I said from no. Prince's band. They, you just said they worked with. Well, I think that's understood. But The Family is, it's the best Prince album that Prince never actually recorded himself. And it's... This is where the original version of Nothing Compares to You, which was covered later by... Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> um, and a lot of people love love her version. Her of, version's great, but this is the real This people. is my favorite version. of the, I mean, it's the original version. I went to the doctor, guess what he told me, guess what he told me. He said, boy, you better try to have fun, no man. So it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. The whole album is beautiful. I remember you made me buy this. Mm-hmm. I bought it for seven ninety nine at Camelot Music. This album is just like the is like the pinnacle of the period in Prince's career from like nineteen eighty five, eighty four up to like eighty seven or eighty eight was I think his most creative both in what he did for him for his own releases and the involvement with other artists and like um, production work that he did. It's really sad that the group broke up, I think even before the album was released. I mean, it was obviously a situation where Prince had just taken musicians and put them together and tried to create something. And they did create a wonderful album, but obviously they didn't create something that was meant to last. Well, and they only made one video because they were, they were very visual, um, a very visual group. They made one video for the Screams of Passion. Yeah, which the only time we ever saw that video was during the Robert Palmer guest VJ hour on MTV, and he just had nothing but wonderful things to say about that video and song. He said it was just perfect in every way. And he was right. It's the second time we've mentioned Robert Palmer on this episode. Yet. Maybe we can do a Robert Palmer episode. No, we can't. No. But the family, I mean, it's 
I am not such a a fan of this kind of music now, but it, for the 80s music, this is like definitely right at what I was into. I remember listening to this in the Chevette. Driving yes, around. this was a Chevette favorite. Yes. I think I had to buy two cassettes of this. I had the, the LP, and I had the cassette, and then I had to buy another cassette before it went out of print. And then I remember I practically cried tears of blood when I was at a record convention probably, what, 10 years later, mm-hmm. and found it on CD. It was a German import. And it was just so nice to finally have that on CD after all those years. Mm-hmm. I still have mine. I don't, but I have a high-quality digital download. Well, you have it. access to all my CDs. We s- sold a lot of our... Out of... Pr- or special... Yeah, I think you, you got about $100 for this CD on eBay. It was, I mean, it was worth selling when um, we are selling off things years ago to finance the trip to florida to uh, key west so yeah we financed an entire trip to key west from selling dvds laser discs and cds yeah and it probably only took us like a month to make the money i mean we had so many out of print things that were worth money at the time that it it was really very little effort. And we did it at the right time because now people are like, if something's rare, they just find an illegal download of it. It's not the same yeah, kind of thing now. Yeah, you wouldn't make that money now. No. So we did it at the right time. Yeah. Well, this brings us to, it kind of ties in with with the family, your next one. Doesn't it? Yes. So you should talk about that before I talk about my number one. All right, so then my number one is Prince and the Revolution, Purple Rain. And it is a soundtrack, but it's not a soundtrack compilation. Right, so it's it all the same artists, so yeah. it's it's different than just a random compilation. Um, I have talked about Prince in our very first episode. I used to, he used to be the total shit to me on everything he did. I loved everything that Prince did. Unfortunately... And we're not going to hear anything from this album because Prince is a Nazi when it comes to people using any sound clips on for, the internet. On the internet, so um, you've all heard "Purple Rain." I would say YouTube it if you haven't, but you can't do that because Prince and his people yank it down. The movie was on VH1 Classic like a whole bunch in the past month. Every time I would flip by, I'd see "Purple Rain." Mm-hmm. Yeah, this I. I wore this out. I mean, and this was another, (laughs) I was so excited when I got my driver's license. Purple Rain was like probably just less than a year old. And I, I think I wanted the first music that I heard in my car when I could drive to be Purple Rain. And it was. Oh, and then I think I listened to Raspberry Beret, which is on the next album that just came out after that around the world in the day. So, but yeah, Prince. No, you had your, the, that album came out, the, Around the World in a Day, came out the day that we put our house up for sale. But I'm just and saying that came out very close to the time yeah. that I got my car, my driver's license. Do you remember you came over to my house after you got your driver's license? It was in the summer. Yeah. You came over to my house, rang my doorbell. I was, I think I was still in bed, maybe. And you made me get in the car with you so you could like drive me around the neighborhood, and you promptly gave uh, one of my neighbors a yard job. Yeah. You were going around a, a corner, and you probably had Purple Rain on. I probably had that on, and I was probably like looking over and talking to you, going, look, can you believe it? Look at me, I'm driving. And as I was 
plowing through someone's yard. At least there was no property damage that time. Yeah, that time. Oh. I've gotten to be better because I now drive like an old lady, so I'm much safer. Yeah, I'd say you're a pretty good driver. That's about all good about you'd say about me, though. No! <laughs> that is not true. Are you done talking about Prince and Purple Rain? I suppose so. My number one album is Duran Duran, Big Thing. Big Thing featured, um, the, the big hit from that album was I Don't Want Your Love. It was a big hit. Which probably doesn't get as much play these days as, you know, other songs from their catalog. It was just such a great, great album, and it um, there's it was very different for them. Yeah, it actually stands out from the rest of their music, especially the trajectory they were going on. It has a, it's almost like a little bit of a return to a new wave-ish sound and a, a little touch Parts, of house music that was yeah, getting a popular. lot of house music, very dancey with even like acidy type yeah, of music. Uh, between "I Don't Want Your Love" and "All She Wants" is. Um, th- those were very and drug. It's just a state of mind. Mm-hmm. Those were very up, dancey, dancey songs. But there are also some really beautiful songs on it too, like Too Late Marlene and Do You Believe in Shame? Yeah. Palomino. Land and those little interludes that are on the it. The little flutes. Yeah. It's just a very beautiful album. When the album came out, this is of course years before the internet, I called the record store to see if they had it yet, and they did. And I made the girl tell me in full detail what the album cover looked like and she was just like well it's just these big letters and colors and i'm just like okay so i didn't really know what to expect when you know we got to the the record store to get it because i wasn't working in a record store at that time Mm -hmm. unfortunately it was very pop arty type of cover yeah Almost like an Andy Warhol type of look or something, maybe. Kind of, sort of. Without the, yeah. But, um, yeah, I love that album so much. It's from 1988. I remember talking, we would, like, look back at the ni- or the 80s when music had changed, like, in the 90s and not so good. And was, like, um, I remember one of our friends made a point, like, 1988 was a really good year. I think it was our friend Bill. Mm-hmm. And he said, remember how in 1988, like, everything of the artists you like, it was, like, some of their best work 
and like yeah. we talked about all the the really good stuff that came out in 1988. So. Yeah, that was very smart of him to observe that fact. <laughs> Thank you for the validation of me pointing that out. Mm-hmm. So we've got um, a list of other albums that we love too that didn't quite make it into our top tens. So we're gonna there are honorable mentions, and we'll just give you a little rundown of those. All right, go ahead and name some of yours. My first one is Kajigugu White Feathers, which features the big hit Too Shy. A lot of people probably think that that might be the only song that they knew from Kajigugu, but if you've seen Sixteen Candles, then you would know that another song from the album, which was an instrumental called Kajigugu, was the opening theme music. Only if you've watched the restored soundtrack on the home video release, because for years, remember, it was some other song that played. Yeah, well, there were several songs in that movie that had to be changed due to... Rights issues. Home video rights. But like, if you, if, when you watched on TV, it was the music was right. Yeah. And it's all since been fixed on recent DVDs. One of my honorable mentions is the solo album by Jane Wheedland with her fantastic song, Blue Kiss. In fact, that whole album is awesome. Yeah, it's a wonderful album. And for a long time, it's very hard to find on CD. Of course, I have it on CD. Of course you do. Yeah, it was her... um, The Go-Go's were signed to IRS Records. When she left the Go-Go's, she had a solo deal with them. But then her second album was on EMI, the one that had Rush Rush Hour. Hour. Yeah. And I love that album, too, but I really, really like her first album a yeah. lot. So what's your next one? Savage by Eurythmics. Yes, I love that. It didn't really have any big hit singles on it, but as far as albums go, it's probably their best album. It's their most cohesive album. Yeah, it has so many good songs on it. Um, I have, next on my list, the debut by Terrence Trent Darby, The Hardline According to Terrence Trent Darby. And it is a very kind of pompous and pretentious debut, mostly due to the fact that Terrence Turn Darby went around saying it was the most perfect debut of any album, even better than Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by well, the Beatles. I would agree. Well, you like him. different type of music. But that album... It is a really, really that, good that's album. That's an awesome album. Yeah, If You Let Me Stay and Wishing Well. Um, Dance Little Sister. Yeah, Dance Let's Little Go Sister. Forward. Rain. That's a yeah. I'm in fact that almost could have been in my top ten. I listened to that all the time. Yeah, it was perfect. My well, next one would be Dare by the Human League, which is probably one of the most important new wave albums ever released. I'll say, featuring the big hits "Don't You Want Me" and "Love Action." I believe in love. I also love that song um, "Do or Die." It's really good. Yeah. Whole album's really, really good. I love, as a close second to this, Fascination. Right. A lot, too. I Love You Too Much. That's yeah, I thing. Love You Too Much is probably my favorite song by the Human League, actually. Yeah. Um, all right, so my next honorable mention is Flaunt It by the group Zig Zig Sputnik. Shoot it up! This is a really weird, random, strange album that's produced by Giorgio Moroder of you know classic disco music fame. And it's just... It doesn't sound like anything, really, that he... No, it has a totally different sound. It's very all over the place with twangy, rockabilly-type guitars with new wave techno synths and... The original (laughs) pressing had commercials in between the songs, which were all 
very overly produced and people probably most know the song Love Missile F111 from Ferris Bueller's Day Off right which we'll hear a little sound clip here So love a six six button. Yeah. My next is Howard Jones' Human Slip. Howard Jones had a lot of American hits, but his first album, um, the two big singles from it, at least here in America, were um, New Song and What Is Love. I don't think either one of them were top ten hits, but they're all very synthy, and um, a couple of his later songs that were bigger hits here in America, were kind of um, mushy, like no one is to blame, kind of yeah. um, ballady. But um, I love his love his overly synthy pop. It's all very happy sounding and very upbeat, and just it's good to put on when when you're feeling blue. Yeah. My next honorable mention is Synchronicity by The Police. And I remember this is one of my first cassettes I got with a Columbia Music House um, cassette, you know, collect club or whatever. I had the vinyl because you could pick out the album covers where there were like three different ones maybe. Yeah, for the different members. I think there's there were those stripes. Yeah. Like the blue, the yellow, the red stripes, and maybe there were like different pictures in them. Or yeah, I remember something. seeing some of that. Yeah. But um, this album actually has one of the worst songs ever recorded on it. Oh, really? Yeah, Mother, which Sting didn't do the... the <laughs> well, no, that's Andy, the, Andy, oh, Andy Summer's song. That song just needs to... Like, I think when I ripped this into my iTunes, I did not put that Aww. song. I just... Yeah, the rest of the album is great, but not that song. Yeah, this album has so many um, classic songs, but I think my favorite song is... I think Synchronicity 2, which is not the one that people think of when they think of this album. They think of Every Breath You Take or King of Pain or Wrapped Around Your Finger. And those are all great yeah, songs. Yeah, the video for Synchronicity 2 is really cool. Yeah, I just I think that's just the most interesting song, and I tend to go back to that again and again. Yeah. So My next one is Erasure Wild, which is another album from Vince Clark. Um, and uh, I just I listen to this album constantly. It featured the hit drama which was a big video that they played on MTV's 120 minutes a lot um, it wasn't as big as their album The Innocence which featured Chains of Love mm -hmm. but but I just love this album so much my next um, runner up is like going to be a split actually it's Go Insane by Lindsey Buckingham and also Tango in the Night by Fleetwood Mac, diddly 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 of which Lindsey Buckingham was a member. And I kind of lumped these albums together, even though Go Insane, his solo album, came out in 1984 and Tango in the Night came out in 87. But uh, production-wise and thematically, I think they kind of go together. In fact, Tango in the Night was the last studio album that uh, Lindsey Buckingham was with Fleetwood Mac until years later when he reunited with them. And it almost feels like another solo album with guest appearances by Fleetwood yeah, Mac. It really it has his sound and go insane was such a really cool experimental pop album. 
Um, and in fact, his other album before that, um, with Trouble, I love that as well. I think Lindsey Buckingham at that period was fantastic. It's Law and Order. Yeah, Law and Order. That's right. So yeah. I love all. I, I love lots of Fleetwood Mac, but especially the stuff Diddle that's Diddle. heavy, heavy on Lindsey Buckingham. We should explain Diddle Do. I'll just play a clip. You'll know if you've heard Big Love. You know what Diddle Do is. It's just what the the guitar it's the does. Sound. It's, it's the sound the guitar makes. So we just always referred to Big Love as Dilladoo. Yes. My next one is Dead or Alive Youthquake featuring You Spin Me Round Like a Record. You do. I remember the first time I heard that. It was on the radio. Um, I was on my way over to my friend Christy's house to pick her up and um, for school and it was like seven o'clock in the morning and we heard that on the radio and we were like, Oh my God. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we just kept driving past the school and we drove to the mall because I was like, oh, I have to have this record today. Who called in for you? What? Did you not go to school? No, I, we didn't go to school. Did someone call to say you weren't going to be there? Yeah. You guys? You just stopped? <laughs> yeah. That's nice. So, yeah. And didn't you do, like do that for some of our other friends later? Shh, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. No, I would just I called the school and told them that I was my mother because my mom's voice is very similar to mine. Yeah, school. This is Kevin's mom. He's not feeling well. He's not going to be there. He's busy buying CD or buying records and CDs <laughs> and such. It was never a problem. I got good grades. I never you were a clean teen. Yes. There were far worse things that other people were doing. And for me to take a day off, it was well-deserved and fine. Yeah. And I told my mom about it years later. So that brings us to my final honorable mention. And it's going to be controversial. It's not controversial. It's true. It's true. Girl, you know it's true. It's Millie Vanilli's debut album. And I don't care if the people that were in the music videos and were the phenomenal dancers and lip-synced to those songs, if they were real or not, and other people recorded it, it's a great album. If you just listen to that music, yeah. there's great songs in there. Right, and I still love it. Remember like when the whole lip-sync scandal came out and mm-hmm. people were like burning their Millie Vanilli albums? I clutch my tour program closer to my heart. So dumb. I mean, it doesn't change the fact that those are good pop songs. I mean, Baby Don't Forget My Number, All or Nothing, and the classic, I'm Gonna Miss You. I mean, I love that album. That was so fun. And we rode on the elevator with that girl who was a lip syncer, backing vocalist. She looked like she did a really good job of studying the moves to lip sync to those recordings. We saw Millie Vanilli in concert twice. Once as part of the Club MTV tour, and once on their own solo headlining show. And we loved it and did not care that it was obvious that they were lip-syncing. So many other people lip-synced, it's just that Millie Vanilli weren't lip-syncing to their actual voices. But again, I don't care. No, I don't care either. My last album is With Sympathy by Ministry, which is probably one of the most important New Wave albums of the 80s. Al Jorgensen, who was like the mastermind behind Ministry... Um, doesn't agree with my assessment assessment of the album. He went on to completely change ministry to be kind of like this really hard, harsh industrial industrial 
band, which I found to be like off-putting and appalling. The sonic equivalent of getting, you know, like a drill in your ear. But um, the first album with Sympathy is so good. Um, Never has Al Jorgensen been this funky before. I mean, there's like some really good like funk new wave on this album the the video that you probably know is revenge which was on mtv yeah but um i wanted to tell her it's a really really good song there's so many songs on this album that should have been big hits but for whatever reason they weren't but he kind of got involved in a lot of heavy duty drugs and just changed his whole direction and sad 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 Sad. unfortunately there were no more albums from them that were as good as this at least to me so yeah i have one more thing that popped to mind that we have to mention that i'm sure we'll both agree on information society's first album i mean yeah they have a new album that just came out last week is it still? I have. I, I don't know who's. That. I just it popped up on my Amazon. Was, Kurt Harlan, Valaquin, and um, Paul Rob. Paul Rob and James Cassidy, our close personal friend. Yes, we did meet him at the Club MTV show. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. If we keep talking like this, we'll be like, oh yeah. What about that album? What about that one? I mean, they could. We could have another list of honorable mentions and give them all the same coverage we gave our top tens. But we'll wrap it up at that. Now it's time for our I'm so sure of the week. I'm so sure. This is going to be all about daylight savings time. Hey! I call it daylight savings lie. Because all we're doing is lying to ourselves about yesterday it was 7 p.m. Today, 24 hours later, it's 6 p.m. No, it isn't. It's still 7 o'clock. And we're all lying to ourselves. Here in Indiana, we didn't even start changing our clocks until like 10 years ago. Well, we did it when we were young children. Then they stopped it. Before we remembered it. Yeah. Then they stopped doing that. And then... Things were better when we didn't have to do that. It was much better. But then they brought that shit back like, what, 10 years ago or something like that? Right. And I was bitter and hostile about it when it changed. I've... And I still am. Clearly. I found that it's helpful that if you change the clocks earlier in the day like i do it around eight o'clock at night the saturday night before so when i go to bed that night i'm kind of i know i'm lying to myself but i'm kind of in the mode of thinking that it's an hour and you hope that you get tired sooner and go to sleep and get the normal sleep the problem is it creates a at least for me it created like a kind of a jet lag kind of effect because i was trying to go to bed earlier, not falling asleep, then having to wake up earlier than it really was. And it it's just all a scam. It's horrible. I hate it. I, I don't really see the point of it. And then I thought my cats were going to be off because every day around 4 o'clock is when they start asking for dinner. So I thought, okay, they're going to be an hour off. Nope. At 4 o'clock, they knew it was time. So they... They assimilated quickly. They don't let daylight savings time affect them, so I guess we shouldn't let it affect us. Well, I'm still so sure about it. I'm so sure. Next. Now it's time for another installment of our incredibly good advice column. 
Dear Kevin and Scott. Dear Kevin and Scott, my husband and I have a 19-month-old son and plan on trying for another baby soon. My husband's brother, who is sterile, called and asked my husband to donate sperm to him. I'm very upset because my husband refuses to ask his brother to make any kind of compromises to protect our family and theirs, such as counseling to resolve any issues ahead of time. Before we were serious about each other, my husband donated to his brother's first wife. His brother wanted to keep it a secret from everyone, including the children, but his wife told all of her friends. What should I do? My husband is afraid he's going to lose his brother if he doesn't give him everything he wants, but the person he's really going to lose is me. Confused. I have two words. Sperm bank. Well, the thing is that maybe they want to keep the same... Um, genetics genetics in their family I understand that maybe they want the kids to look similar um, but if the wife really has an issue with it then the husband needs to really respect respect her. and consider that so um, I still think sperm bank I think he could say that he's donated it and um, actually I, just get it from a sperm bank and then lie. That's better. Just build up a I would whole think family that you would, you would say there are already too many children in this world. Well, that's ultimately what I think, but I know there's some listeners we have that may have children or have nieces or nephews that they're fond of and that's great, but you know one of my favorite sayings, there's nothing worse than the sound of a laughing child. And with that, that's the end of another episode of the I'm So Sure podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash, slash I'm So Sure podcast. Is that slash like Angie Dickinson getting slashed and dressed to kill? Yeah, that's exactly what it's Yeah, like. and you can find us on Twitter at I'm So Sure podcast on Twitter. Please tweet something at me. I don't get a lot of traffic on Twitter, and it's very sad. I don't really understand Twitter. I don't know what the point is of it, but I still do it. Every time we have a new episode, I post it, and I hope people see it. Thank you to our listeners, especially our listeners that are great about giving us feedback. There's Scott and Melissa and Jimmy and Liz. We thank you all for you. all your nice comments and everybody else, too, that is listening. And with that, I'm Scott Benson. I'm Kevin Kelly. I'm so sure. Bye. Bye. I'm so sure.